Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where we gather around a table and we discuss the films you will never, and I mean never, discuss in a film stage course. We are doing a thing we've done before, and we liked it, and it was fun, and some of you liked it as well. We are doing a trilogy of films. However, it is not an official trilogy, although two of these films share a director. We are looking at the Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan romance comedy trilogy fun times will be had by all yep we were just gonna do sleepless in seattle and arthur said how about we do all of them let's do it and i'm really glad we did because otherwise it would have been a whole show of me being mad at sleepless in seattle and i've been lobbying for joe versus the volcano since this show began yeah years yeah years i've been wanting to get you guys to watch this movie and uh, so i am excited to be talking about that again for those of you not in the know we will be discussing joe versus the volcano from 1990 sleepless in seattle from 1995 and finally the godfather part three of this trilogy You've got mail, which that is not true. Oddly, scurrilous. You're right. Well, it's not the Spider-Man three. Is it the? I guess it's the Return of the King of the trilogy. Um, we need a trilogy where part three is better than part two. I'd say Thor Ragnarok. You know what? The, the Thor Ragnarok. Because part two is the worst. You're yeah. right. Part th- okay. Yeah, I can get behind this. Okay. Uh, and Thor is not terrible, but it's kind of a shaggy dog, the same way Joe versus the volcano is. Mm-hmm. Well, Joe versus the volcano is quite a bit better than Thor. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I can get behind this this metaphor. Uh, so yeah, and then again, finally, 1998's "You've Got Mail," which, as Arthur has so eloquently pointed out, the Thor Ragnarok of the trilogy. So let's go ahead and identify our disembodied voices for the dear listener if they're tuning in for the first time. That way, I mean, I guess if anything, in a complete parallel, Joe versus the volcanoes, the Thor Ragnarok of the trilogy. It is. Uh, so, I mean, if anything, Arthur. Okay, we're going to identify our voices <laughs> so that you, keeping score at home, knows who says what and gets all the points. Who are you, sir? I am Arthur Gordon, and you don't want to be in love. You want to be in love in a movie. Oh, very, oh. very true. Uh, to my left, sir, who are you? My name is Dalton Stewart, and whatever else, it ought to be personal. Truth, truth in that. My name is Dustin Sells, and I have no response to that, uh, which is my favorite Meg Ryan bit from Joe vs. Volcano. I use it all the time. She's got some good bits in that movie. I, I have, <laughs> she's some She's. Well, well, we'll get to it. I'll be saying that a lot during the show. I have no response. Oh, we'll be getting to it. To that. Uh, moving <laughs> right along. In case you're tuning in for this, sh- this show for the very, very first time, this is what happens. We do spoilers because this is not a review show. This is an analysis show. And that does mean we have to talk about how the things end. Will Joe and the volcano in their boxing match defeat one another? Will Sleepless in Se- Seattle ever find the goodness of Ambien? Will You've Got Mail ever end with the Unabomber plot being solved? We will find out all <laughs> of these things. That's such a good joke. <laughs> You've Got Mail has got the best jokes of all three of these movies. Remember when we thought George was a Unabomber? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Steve's, Steve's, Steve Steve Zahn does not get enough to do, and you've got no, mail, but he's, he's very good in the moment. <laughs> he's he a blast. Uh, so we are going to figure all of that good stuff out, but we will give you the briefest of reprieves, and it looks like this. Synopsi from the voice of the cinema, for there are multiple films. Then we will move on from the synopsi into our thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews of the three films in question. We will then play a game, and then we'll probably be done for a while, and then we'll come back in a week, and then we'll do analysis. That's, That's right. Because uh, what we do when we do a trilogy is we do a two-parter, and we're just gonna, we're planning it now. We, we made an on-the-cuff off the cuff, a game day, in the moment, heat of the moment decision last time when we did the Spider-Man trilogy. But this time, we planned ahead. We're going to do it in two parts. So, without any further ado, Mr. Arthur Gordon, voice of the cinema, synopsize all three films in one sentence. Go. A lovable loser looks for love. Uh, okay. yeah. Crushed it. Crushed it. Crushed it. Um, do you have a different synopsis or is that what we're going to go with? I can do synopsis for each film. If that works. I think, yeah. Let's, uh, let's synopsis. Okay. Let's, yeah. Yeah, synopsis. So the first part of this podcast, we'll be looking at Joe versus the volcano. When a hypochondriac learns that he is dying, he accepts an offer to throw himself in a volcano at a tropical island and along the way there learns to truly live. Now, Arthur, what happens in Sleepless in Seattle? Well, Dalton, I'm so glad that you asked. Because a recently widowed man's son calls a radio talk show in an attempt to find his father a partner. Now that sounds very interesting. Can you tell me more about You've Got Mail? Maybe the apostrophe threw me off for a second. Here we go. (laughs) 
two business rivals who despise each other in real life unwittingly fall in love over the internet. Internet. The internet. <laughs> I like yeah, the idea remember. of unwittingly fall in love. Um, isn't falling in love by itself an unwitting act? It always is. According to these movies. By uh, definition. It always is. Arthur, we talked about on Good Trash Nights. Uh, Good, Trash Nights. Good Trash Nights. If you want access to that content, you got to give us some money. But uh, Arthur just talked about how he's been getting into uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, uh, crazy the CW ex -girlfriend. series. Uh I found myself thinking about that series a lot, watching these movies specifically. Well, it's Sleep a lot more nuanced Seattle. than this. It is a lot more nuanced than this, and I think uh, that's a sexist. Did statement. you did you find uh, <laughs> yourself thinking about uh, the tropes that they play with in that series at all while you were watching any of these movies? I don't think I did, just because I haven't really because of Spider Man, I haven't really been watching as much recently. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean that's you know what it's doing is I think playing with the romance genre on a whole and playing with that. But um, I, I I didn't so much put it together here. Mm -hmm. I was kind of thinking of other just kind of rom-coms in general, the genre, and also just uh, kind of the meta thing that I think uh, Efron does with all of her films mm -hmm. uh, and things of that nature. Yeah. Because um, it seems like, uh, especially with Sleepless, she's trying the the parallel with an affair to remember. Mm -hmm. uh, it almost opens itself up to do kind of a critique of romantic films, but it mm -hmm. never really goes that direction. Okay. I was just curious because I, I found myself thinking a lot about the tropes of the romantic comedy while watching these films. I was curious if you did as well. Uh, Dustin, we'll go ahead and start with you, which we rarely do. Oh, yeah. Um, so talk to us. How do you feel about uh, these movies as a whole, and how do you feel about them individually? Uh, and, 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 you know, give, give us that, that review. How well does this work as watching it as a trilogy of films, and how do they all work individually for you? Well, you know, it works a lot like my research papers. It starts out very, very strong, gets crappy in the middle, and then um, somewhat redeems itself, but not entirely by the end. Truer words were never spoken. That's uh, for sure. What order did you watch these in? In, in chronological order. Okay. So I watched Joe versus, and then I watched Sleepless, and then I watched You've Got Mail. Okay. And so, yeah, the, the, the movies individually, uh, obviously, they are... Uh, separate pieces. Uh, we have uh, a different director for Joe versus Volcano, and then we've got Nora Ephron for uh, both uh, Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail. So there's a bit more of a through line between those two, and there are sort of metatextualities. Uh, but yeah, so it, it was fun to watch the development of the career. I think you get to see the development of the star persona of Meg Ryan, uh, much more so than you do Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks is more chameleonic in his uh, different performances, and uh, his oeuvre is uh, just a bit more broad, at least in the public Zeke guys. I mean, Meg Ryan does a lot of work, don't get me wrong. But she's more known for these works as opposed to Hanks. Who Especially does, at the time. Yeah, and Tom Hanks who just does tons of stuff kind of all over the place. But I did notice that you do see this development of her character that you begin uh, Meg Ryan in her performances being this really amazing, impressive, uh, almost chameleonic sort of actress in Joe versus the Volcano. The difference between all Dee Dee and Victoria and Patricia as these different characters are uh, played by the same character or the same actress, Meg Ryan. It's, it's really, really impressive. That it's that remarkable. That she's able to do what she does. I mean, she really does entirely fade back into those characters, which is awesome. Um, by the time you get to Sleepless in Seattle, she is definitely playing a strong female lead, a, a woman that you're interested in, um, that you're supposed to like and sort of have some sort of a resonance with, and she's able to do that fine. By the time she gets to You've Got Mail, she is the Meg Ryan persona, which is cute. She is very cute and perky and quirky and she is doing all of those things that she is going to continue to do in like a Kate and Leopold or things that she's going to do in uh, say, uh, oh golly that other movie with uh, Nick Cage and she's an, he's an angel. City of Angels. City of Angels. That she's doing that stuff and uh, really, really uh, you know, again, just this is really cute girl next door kind of thing that uh, sort of ca carried and coasted her career after uh, that point. I'll, there's definitely some bright spots after. Don't get me wrong, I love her in Courage Under Fire, and so she definitely has more chops. But she becomes that persona by then. So that's sort of my overview of the trilogy. Uh, now, Joe vs. the Volcano is freaking awesome. I don't know what else you want me to say. It is a movie that is a fairy tale that is saying, I am going to make this movie about ideas, and I'm going to hide those ideas in plain sight. So you're going to see this jagged path all the time throughout the film. You're all going, the time. 
all the time. We're going to have existential crises. We are going. This to ha- crooked man is going to walk a crooked mile. Absolutely, we're going to have uh, we're going to have lots and lots of uh, character moments, episodic moments in which this person is finding themselves. We're going to have lighting that is going to cue to us emotion and thought and process it, from the electric lighting of uh, Joe's awful, awful, oh, dingy place. Uh, yeah, which is man, uh, just it's awful. It's so bad. Uh, uh, you know, the light is sucking the life from my eyes is a great little performance moment from uh, Hanks. It's very good. There. Uh, all the way to uh, what you see when uh, the warm colors of him finding something of a life and time he spends with Meg Ryder, the green that's used in a baptism scene uh, when he jumps in the ocean, and then uh, finally just the great garish colors of uh, the Wupanis. Wupanis? Wutanis. Well, I think it was Wupanis. We're going to talk about whether or not that whole sequence is racist when we get to analysis. Yeah, it's a little racist. Uh, it's a little bit. Yes. Yes. It's, but I don't care. It's it, I do care. I but care. I, I care, too, but I like the movie a lot. and It, it, it works in spite of Abe Vigoda playing a South Pacific Islander. Uh, but it's got Abe Vigoda. Of Irish but Jewish Abe, descent. Abe Vigoda is very good in this movie. So, uh, oh, yeah. Wupani Wu. Uh, Man, yeah, it's it, it's dicey. <laughs> but and the, and the orange soda. Like it doesn't end as strong as it starts. Yeah, absolutely. But it's and it's about capitalism. It's about it's about a lot of stuff. It's about a lot of things. And so it, it's a it's a simple simple basic story that is full of ideas, and that makes it really really interesting. Now, when it comes to Sleepless in Seattle, um, you want to sleep when you watch it because it has less ideas. Uh, it is. Uh, One could say it has so few ideas that it starts to have very bad ideas. You might say that as well. Although it does have some endearing. Nora Ephron is working this great metatextual stuff with an affair to remember, which is a much better film than this one. That's the thing, is that you cannot make your movie a callback to something else, and then the viewer who knows the movie prior just wanting to watch the other one. And and that is a real problem uh, with that film and it is a Sleepless in Seattle The Force Awakens of Romantic Comedies Sleepless in Seattle, Craigslist The Love Story uh, sleep- I'm so mad at this movie So yeah, yeah it's, got, it's got a lot of things that are not so awesome about it Then we get on to You've Got Mail which is a better sort of metatextual bit of work in which Quite a bit better I would say You've got Shop Around the Corner, the Jimmy Stewart film You've got that sort of Jimmy Stewart and a leading lady sort of combination thing that's working that they're definitely playing up the Hanks Ryan Powell that you see in Stewart's later work, and so there's a lot of that going on for it. Also, the play upon which it is based. Also, the, all the pride and prejudice. Also, this conversation about the invasive forces of technology and how we get further and closer, how we are homogenizing and uniformizing and we're pave para- paving paradise and putting up a parking lot. All of that stuff is really, really fascinating and interesting that's going on with a less believable love story because what makes Joe vs. the Volcano the superior film in the trilogy is that it is all utterly unbelievable, but it goes hard in the paint with regard to being a fairy tale. And Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail try to be true to life. And that's where the whole thing falls apart. That is my review. Well, Arthur, same question. Well played. I think that's a week. Uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. Uh, we'll <laughs> see you next week for part two. Yeah. Okay, Arthur, same question. How do you feel about this as a trilogy? How do you feel about them as separate films? I think it's an interesting uh, spiritual trilogy. I, I you don't. I, I don't, it kind of came about because we we talked about this initially with Sleepless in Seattle when we decided to do that. We were going to kind of talk about. Uh, the Hanks Ryan thing, and then it's like, well, let's just go ahead and do all these movies. Yeah, because we're probably going to have to watch these other movies for homework to yeah. actually be able to talk about. And it. it's not something you see as much anymore. You don't have that kind of leading uh, actors combination really as as often. Uh, you might have a director who works yeah. with a similar troupe of actors, or uh, you might have, you know, I think Ryan Gosling, Emma Stone are kind of the only other one right now. That's that exa- have, that I was just about to bring them up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so it's kind of a lost thing. You don't really see it. I mean, you think back about, you know, you think of Hepburn and Tracy, or you think of uh, Bogart and Bacall, and, you know, uh, pairings of that nature. And it's definitely a classic Hollywood thing. And I think that's what Nefro- uh, Efron is really, Nefron, Efron is really pulling from. I mean, you can see her kind of love of classic cinema, obviously, with the metatextual um, tropes she's pulling and the, the things she's name dropping and the, the uh, elements of that nature. But she loves that classical Hollywood. She does. And and You've Got Mail definitely feels like a very classical piece. I don't think, I mean, Sleepless does, but I think You've Got Mail nails it a, a lot harder. Um, 
And so I, I think it's interesting to view him in that way. Joe versus the volcano is its own thing. Like Justin said, it is uh, existential, surreal, bizarre fairy tale uh, that definitely works. Uh, and it's important because it sets up this pairing, this dynamic, uh, and shows us the chemistry between Ryan and Hanks, which is it's palpable. It's, it's very good chemistry uh, that they carry over, I think, through the, the at least till with You Got Mail. Um, and I think that's what hinders the middle part is that chemistry drives, especially you've got male. Mm-hmm. And we don't get that in Sleepless in Seattle. And so as, as kind of this exploration of life and love, I, I, I think it works and it's interesting. Um, looking at the three films, Joe vs. the Volcano, I think, is a blast. I think it's a hoot. I think it is just a fun ride. Uh, it just speeds by. That episodic nature really works with it. Meg Ryan is an MVP oh, in that film. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, the first time I watched it, I didn't realize she was Dee Dee until much later. Uh, and and upon having that knowledge, I was still questioning myself, watching it a second time, thinking, is is that really Meg Ryan? Because she's got the brown hair, she's kind of disheveled, she's got the brown contacts. She's doing a whole different voice. Yeah. yeah. It's a complete bit that she's working in, and it's it's incredible. She does a great job. She, she steals the movie. Uh, and her and Hanks play off each other so well. I, I love his kind of exploration of life thing that he goes through and, and, and really works. And this kind of just absurd, none of this matters moment at the end. Just I, I, I enjoy it. It's just charming and fun and a blast. It's got a great soundtrack. There's, I, there's some meta stuff going on there. We got that Hollywood facade when he goes to L.A., mm-hmm. uh, which is a big part of that. This is a real scene, right? Yeah. And and I appreciate all that, and I think that kind of helps it tie in with these other two films, which really rely heavily on that kind of uh, intertextuality and that meta narrative at play. Uh, Sleepless in Seattle, it's it's rom com one hundred and one. I mean, it is one of the defining rom coms. I think it's like number twenty on the AFI's romantic films list. You know, it's kind of heralded as one of the best romantic comedies of all time. And no, I don't and they're get wrong. It. They're so wrong. I, I have a question. I was thinking about this just as I was listening to you talk, Arthur. Is, is part of the reason why we're all in agreement that this is the uh, soggy middle of the trilogy is because uh, because of the plot contrivance, Hanks and Ryan are together very little in the film. I think that's it. I, yeah, I don't you, think it works. You brought that up, Arthur, yeah. that the lack of getting to experience their chemistry really hinders the film. There's a lot of scenes in this movie where characters just kind of it kind of montage. There's sequences of people walking around with music. You know, there was the thing where she's stalking him in Seattle and things like oh, that. Makes me so mad. Where not a lot's actually happening. Yeah. Uh, and you know, there's no plot momentum whatsoever. No, it, it really just slows down. And uh, you got some good stuff. I mean, Rosie O'Donnell's fun. David Hyde Pierce has a couple of cute moments. Uh, I love Bill Pullman as this kind of just affable nerd. Pullman uh, with might his, be like, the MVP of allergies. That movie. He's it's it's a great role. I think it's a great turn for him. Um, and 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 separate apart, I think you know. I think Meg Ryan nails it. I think she does a great job. Uh, you know, despite writing, despite themes or ideas, I think Tom Hanks does a great job. It's a very good nuanced performance, I believe, and, and the way he navigates his grief and his you know memories of love and his wife and those elements. I think he does a great job portraying a lot of that. And even the moments where he's you know not as becoming as a father, he's very you know he's not a good dad. He he's very real though. Yeah. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of emotional honesty in that performance. I think he does a great job. But, yeah, it's disjointed because when we're dealing, and we can get into this with analysis, uh, when we talk about uh, these films a little more, we can kind of talk about that. Uh, I think the rom-com really relies on the uh, will-they-won't-they. They. And yeah. this doesn't have that until the very end. It's more of a should-I-could-I and, this and that doesn't work as well. And for those of you who are like, wait a second, I've never seen Sleepless in Seattle. You guys always save spoilers for later. I really don't feel like that's a spoiler. I mean, it says They up, get together in the end? It becomes, well, no, it's not a spoiler. No, it's a bloody romance. That they don't yeah. meet each other until the end. And, yeah. I, and I think that kind of is the hook of Sleepless in Seattle. That, yeah. That's, that's what they're going for. It's a fun novelty, but it doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, it is a fun, 
what if our two romantic leads never cross paths until the and I, I it just doesn't work. I don't think. Nope. Uh, not when it's a movie where the meet cute doesn't happen until the end of the movie. And I will say, I think it's different because we're watching it in 2018 rather than in 1995. That's fair. Where we know what a movie with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan interacting together on the level of you've got mail looks like, and we know kind of what they can bring. And I don't know if you know in '95. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't. Not a lot of people saw Joe versus the volcano. No, they didn't. It did was not. a flop. It didn't do you know great. A travesty. Um, uh, yeah, a true crime. And so, <laughs> I th- I think a lot of it was walking and sleeping in Seattle. I think you have a different experience of it if you go in fresh like that. If that's the first kind of engagement with that story and with those characters and with those actors. And what what order did you watch the films in? Just out I of curiosity. watched Joe, You've Got Mail, and then Sleepless because I was trying to wait on my wife because she wanted to watch Sleepless together. I like that we all had but a different watch order on these. I've also seen those two before as well. Okay. I'd never seen Sleepless before. Gotcha. Um, I hadn't seen any of them before. I'd started Sleepless before, but I turned it off because I just couldn't do it, get into it or something. Yeah, well, um, hard to argue with that. Yeah. Uh, and as far as You've Got Mail, I think it's just a very cute, a very charming film. Uh, just Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks play off of each other so well yeah they've got great timing together they've got great chemistry together they work together so well it's quirky watching it now because it wasn't the late 90s when computer magic boxes were in your house and it's kind of a fun thing to see that whole thing and dial up internet it is an amazing historical artifact for that alone greg kinnear's uh phobia of all things (laughs) electronic fucking luddite that that him singing the horn the horn it sounds so forlorn. <laughs> Greg Kinnear is such a douchebag in that movie, and it's so good. He's yeah. so good. Mm, He's Kinnear so good. Kinnear is so good in this movie. And that's the thing about all. I mean, Parker all Posey's. These movies. I I could have done with a, at least five more minutes of yeah. Parker Posey. I, 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 that's mail. the thing. I think these ensembles work really well. I think the side characters work really well, and I think Efron puts those things together really well. And, and I also watched When Harry Met Sally and kind of prep for this as well, uh, which is probably the true. First part of the, if you look at this as a love trilogy or romantic comedy, I think that's actually the first yeah. part of that trilogy. Uh, but you know, all those same tropes are there—the the illicit affair type things and the the side characters who know more, the wise friends and things like that. Uh, and I think Efron's really good at putting those pieces in play. I don't think she's good at executing that vision yeah. across the board. Uh, but You've Got Mail, I think, is it's just a lot more charming. It's a lot more fun because we actually get to see Ryan and Hanks playing together. And, and they are stuff. very good together. Yes. Um, and it's, you know, it's it's it's, it's a good time. I, I You know, if I'm ranking them, Joe's obviously at the top. I've got You Got Mail next and Sleepless at the bottom. Okay. All right. Thanks for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Well, Dalton Stewart, what say you? Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down review of the trilogy as a whole and the films individuated. Uh, so as you guys have been talking, I've I've really been trying to figure out how to best articulate why I don't like Sleepless in Seattle, which I watched first. I, I did. I'm, I think it's fun that we all had a different watch order. I did Sleepless in Seattle. You've got Male Joe versus the Volcano. Um, the crux of a romantic comedy, and I'm going to talk about this uh, on our next episode when we get to Elsa instead. I, I think the crux of what makes a good romantic comedy is very quickly can you establish you the viewer need to see these two people bang. A romantic comedy is a pornography that's all foreplay, if, if that makes sense. Uh, and I don't mean that to be crass. I, I say that because I think that's a big part. Oh, you mean to be crass, too. I don't mean to be crass. I think you need to feel, not not the sexual chemistry necessarily, but the emotional chemistry between two people. You, ha- It's like having two friends that you think should date. You know what I mean? It, it's kind of, a film has to be able to simulate that experience for the viewer if it's going to be a good romantic comedy. It has to say, look at these two fun characters. Don't they clearly belong together? And Sleepless in Seattle doesn't give you that, and it just makes for a slog. I think we'll probably talk about it when we get to analysis. I also find that the the infidelity component in Sleepless in Seattle is so much more infuriating in, in, in that film than it is in You've Got Mail. And You've Got Mail, they honestly seem to be fairly casual relationships that they're both in. I mean, they're, you know, they, they they have partners that they're sleeping with. I think Parker Posey and Tom Hanks' characters live together and you've got mail. I don't think Kinnear 
and Meg Ryan live together. No, because she makes a statement early on about, I think I've moved in with him or something like that. Like gotcha. Yeah. It's, but not really. Yeah. yeah. Kind, it's like yeah. she's probably got a toothbrush type of thing yeah. at, the, at the apartment or whatever. Yeah. So the, those relationships don't feel as serious. They do feel like they're, they're both kind of got like one foot in already. So it doesn't feel as bad. But you're introduced to Meg Ryan in Sleepless in Seattle going to take her new fiance to meet her parents. And it spirals from there. And it's just like, look, I get that Bill Pullman's character is a dork in this, but he seems nice. Like, just tell him you don't want to get married. What's the big deal? And that that makes it so much more frustrating. Uh, and I think Joe versus the Volcano, as you've both pointed out, does have this very much... You could Joe versus the Volcano could be done as a high school play, and it would be awesome. Like, it, yes. it's got this very stagey artifice quality to it yes. that's really cool uh i, you I could, am lobbying my son who is a theater nerd immediately to start lobbying his teachers oh my gosh yeah it's yes. it's pretty wholesome there's nothing look i think the wapani stuff might need to go but other than that it's it's a sweet film and you you get to have that sense of the chemistry between them but you get to have it over three characters which is kind of interesting this this idea that uh, Joe is looking for love and has a type uh, that is Meg Ryan, but uh, there's an emotional component missing with all these women that he meets. There's the, they're not on, they're not all looking for the same thing until he finally meets um, Patricia, and uh, man, they're great together as uh, Joe and Patricia. But Joe and D- the stuff with Dee Dee is fantastic. I I love Arthur as you so eloquently said. Meg Ryan is the MVP of that movie. She's so good in those three different roles and. As Dustin said, she does kind of disappear into those characters and presents even Patricia, who looks like Meg Ryan. Uh, it helps that the other two characters don't look like Meg Ryan. I actually thought, what's the second character that she plays? Victoria. Victoria. I thought Victoria was Nicole Kidman for like a minute. Uh, and I thought Dee Dee was, um, oh God, what's her doodle from Ghostbusters? Oh. <laughs> Janine? Yeah. I thought that was her for a second. I was like, who is this actress? She's great. Ghostbusters, what do you want? I I, I was like, who is this amazing actress? And yeah, I, with you, Arthur, I had no idea it was Meg yeah. Ryan for, uh, until Patricia showed up. And I was like, wait a second. Annie the, Potts, by the way. Thank you, Annie Potts. I was like, oh, Victoria and Patricia are both Meg Ryan. And then I was like, wait a second. Yeah. Was Dee Dee Meg Ryan too? Yeah. Uh, that's that's so yeah you're absolutely right she's the MVP of that. There's film. a joke about that in the trailer. They they just go ahead and it's like with Meg Ryan and Meg Ryan and Meg Ryan. That's fun. Yeah, uh, she's great in that film. And as Dustin has said, it, it has this. It's almost like the early parts of this film almost go like full Kafka esque, not quite, mm-hmm. but they're very like everything's a blur and a daze and a nightmare wrapped inside of an unknowability. That's really kind of cool. And watching the, the film shed those layers as it goes is really neat. Well, you get that great Caligari walk up to, uh, yeah. to the factory. Uh, where they the, uh, they walk a crooked path like cattle. With 16 tons. Ugh. Yeah, Which is not a great cover of 16 tons, but nonetheless. Man. It works, I think, for It this, works, though. yeah. I, I'm a big... Joe vs. Volcano is so good. But I like You've Got Mail a lot. I think You've Got Mail is stellar because... It does have that component. You know, you, you see that groundwork laid in Joe versus Volcano. Uh, having watched them in kind of a weird order, I thought that was kind of like a nice dessert to know where their their pairings together would go. But you've got mail the whole time. You're like, man, these two need to get together bad. Uh, and you want to see it happen. You are you are longing for them to be together. And Sleepless in Seattle, it just makes Meg Ryan out to be a, a cuckoo banana pants. Uh, and I'm just mad at... The shallowness and the unbelievability with which Sleepless in Seattle portrays human emotion. Uh, Meg Ryan does not act like a real person. Tom Hanks and every other man in Sleepless in Seattle act like a fucking caricature of a man, and I hate it so much. Uh, It's no wonder that Tom Hanks talking so lovingly about his wife got every woman in America horny, because every man in this movie is an emotional schlub, a a slug with no discernible like uh, internal inventory ability. It's infuriating. Uh, and again, it it's trying to do go broad, uh, but it, it just doesn't work for me. And even you've got mail though. I feel like all of the characters are so much more nuanced. Have a kind of a clear uh, internal life. Have a clear uh, ethos. Have a clear 
worldview and a clear set of goals. And Sleepless in Seattle, I couldn't tell you anything about any of these people, what they want, what their hopes and desires are. And I think that's what makes it so frustrating. It's not just that Meg Ryan, uh, you know, stalks a man. It's not just that Tom Hanks makes fun of his sister for crying at movies. It, it's it's that nobody feels like a real human being. And, and nobody feels like a real human being in Joe vs. the Volcano either, but that artifice helps get around that. And as Dustin has pointed out already, Sleepless in Seattle tries so desperately to be set in the real world that it just highlights those moments where it becomes unreal so much more. I think it's a failure to articulate the real problem Meg Ryan's character has. I mean, the problem is, and I I can articulate it, but I don't think the film does it well, is that she is marrying the guy that she's been dating because... She's settling. It's It's safe. It's safe. It's been long enough. He's not, you know, repugnant. Yeah, he's He's, a nice guy. He's a nice guy. He's handsome enough. He's successful. He's successful. But she's not in love with him. He's got some... Yeah, but she's just not in love with him. And and, And, and that's a perfectly fine thing. I think that's a real emotion to talk about. Sure, but that's... it, It never really quite gets there because is he goofy is that the problem is it because it just it, makes fun of him it, it doesn't it, say like it it does a poor job of articulating why she's not in love with yeah. him. right yeah it, it's just that she just happens not to be because it's not magic and it does a good job of articulating why somebody could fall in love with tom hanks the first half hour of sleepless in seattle i, I should clarify i do actually like quite a bit yeah. i think the first half hour is really good um when tom hanks goes on the radio and talks about missing his wife you can tell it's the first time he's talked about her yeah. since she died and it's it, it's beautiful. I think it's really well done. It is not unbelievable that people are falling in love with Tom Hanks. It is the absurd level of obsession with which every uh, straight woman who heard this recording of him on the radio, it, it's the, the fact that he gets all of these women obsessed with the idea of being with him. That is just completely absurd. It's not absurd that Meg Ryan falls in love with him. I think that's fine. And the movie doesn't go over the top enough to play into that absurdity. It, it does. Yeah, you're yeah. right. It doesn't. It doesn't point out how absurd it is. Yeah. It says, well, of course, this is normal. All men in the '90s are fucking garbage, because that kind of seems to be the impression that I got from this film. It, it seems like every single baby boomer was a nightmare. Uh, and no no man that was over the age of 35 in 1995 uh, was worth the fucking dirt on his boots. I hated it. It made me very upset. Uh, the idea that any man would cry ever uh, is treated as an, a complete unknowability in Sleepless in Seattle. The idea that a man would cry anywhere... Uh, in public is treated as something that you would never see, and that just bothered me so in- so intensely. Uh, whereas I think in Joe versus the Volcano, and even You've Got Mail, I think the men are treated with uh, an emotional realness that feels a lot more real. And again, it's not just the male characters. Uh, Rosie O'Donnell's sole purpose for being in Sleepless in Seattle seems to be to get her friend laid, uh, despite the fact that she's engaged. It, but, what Rosie, go talk go do something else. Like this woman is stealing your joy and making you party to some weird stuff. Like work on your own life. It, it's just absurd. The dynamic between her and, and Meg Ryan in sleepless in Seattle is a lot like, yes, that's there what, it is. That's what okay. made me think of crazy ex-girlfriend a lot because yeah, now, the, yeah. crazy ex-girlfriend does a really great job of taking that relationship from the romantic comedies and making it a farce and lampooning it yeah. and showing how, the, uh, there is a beautiful friendship there, but it has become toxic. Yeah. And I think that's what, uh, and we'll probably talk about the Nelson instead, but I think that's what uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend does so well with the tropes, the more problematic tropes of romantic comedies like Sleepless in Seattle. So uh, there you have it. That, those are my thoughts. Um, clearly, we, we're not fans of Sleepless in Seattle here, but uh, we all love the absurdity of Joe versus Volcano, and we like the sweet tenderness of You've Got Mail. There you go, dear listeners. So you know our biases. They are mostly pro with a little bit of strong con. Uh, Sorry. Something. Boo. Boo. Yeah, that was terrible. I, I regretted it. Right, you know what your punishment is? What? Social media. God damn. Uh, social media. Don't do it. Like you don't hearing the sound of your own voice. I, I, I don't like being accused of liking the sound of my <laughs> own voice. And that's the thing it's that I find. It's not an accusation, man. <laughs> so yeah, we're on social media. Uh, much like uh, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, you two can fall in love with us just by hearing us talk about our feelings. Um, I turned Sleepless in Seattle and you've got me on to one movie. You can meet us on Twitter on Valentine's Day. You can meet us on Twitter on Valentine's Day. You don't have to. Uh, I would encourage you to stay off Twitter, in fact. We won't even stalk you. No, we, we won't stalk you back. We promise. Uh, man, I got to tell you, 
Sleepless in Seattle made me a little bit afraid of being stalked, which is as 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 a as look, society's trash. It's not something men have to worry about uh, as often. Well, if you're turning, but man, it did make me think about it a little bit, and I've never thought about it. If your voice is ta- turning, any thousands... in this country on, I will be shocked. <laughs> I will be absolutely shocked. <laughs> if you're right, though, Arthur, if my voice does it for anybody, they have got a lot of material. I have no response to that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're on Twitter. That's at good underscore trash. You can find uh, links to the show. Uh, to website, to the links to articles that have been posted on the website, links to Dustin's uh, video series that he's doing uh, both by himself. Oh, wait, no, the, the BorgoCast is not video, right? BorgoCast is not video, it's just a podcast. Just a podcast. BorgoCast, Dustin's uh, standalone podcast where he talks about Dracula stuff. I've got a bad, we've got a bad, I've got a bad. A bad feeling. A bad feeling, a, a bad feeling about this, the show that uh, Dustin If you'd does. watch it, you'd know. I'll get around to it. Yeah. Uh, the show that, how many episodes in are you guys now? We are two episodes in. We I took we took a week off because we had a Memorial a, Day and then a, a birth in the family. And then a birth Labor in the day. family. A birth in the family. Yeah, l- Labor Day and then Labor Day. Yeah. A birth in the family. Uh, the unsung uh, Batman story that nobody talks about. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's when he got Robin pregnant. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, man. It's, it's an episode of Junior. It really yeah. is fun to, to to think about the fact that people wrote entire books about uh, their relationship in the 40s and how uh, comic books were bad because Batman and Robin have uh, sexual undertones in their relationship. The 40s were wild. People just writing crazy books. Ugh. Uh, so yeah, that's at good underscore trash. You can find polls, questions for the week, updates on what we're watching, questions about what you're watching, links to the shows and all that good stuff. We're also on Facebook. I would encourage you to be on Facebook even less than I would encourage you to be on Twitter, but that's facebook.com forward slash GTM. If you can't stop yourself, uh, if you want to have a long form correspondence with us where we do fall in love, uh, it's not going to happen. Uh, we're all spoken for, but we would love to talk to you. Uh, if you want that long-form feedback, that's going to be goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Last but certainly not least, uh, we would really love it if you would uh, you know, give us a rating, a review, uh, a subscription, wherever you go to put this podcast in your ears. That sort of thing uh, helps the Internet robots uh, do something with a metric, I think. I don't know. Uh, but it's helpful to us. Uh, that would be nice. You can also just tell somebody you like about the show. You don't have to get on the internet at all. Imagine that. Uh, Sleepless in Seattle does a really good job of threading the needle, by the way. Uh, despite it being 1998, it does not feel too uh, afraid that the internet's going to make people not talk You've to each mail. other. You've got mail. You what mean? did I say? Sleepless in Seattle? I meant you've got mail. Right. Uh, we'll probably get into that in analysis. Uh, yeah, I was going to say. I think that's a very interesting thing yes. about it, though. Yeah. Uh, but uh, look. Let's not undersell how good it is to actually talk to people. That's a nice thing to do. Uh, you can tell your friends about it. Maybe tell your family. I don't know what your family's like, but maybe they'll be into this show. Um, I don't know that mine would be. Um, I think they like it okay. Your kids like the show, right? They don't listen very much. No, that's probably Mostly because Uncle da- Uncle Dalton doesn't... Um, Uncle Dalton's got a potty mouth. Uh, Uncle Dalton, yeah. is. Yeah. Um, they, um, they tend to repeat things he says. Uh, why would they do that? You know, um, Don't they know that I'm a fool? Can we talk about for just a second um, the a bad feeling about this uh, sort of spinoff special episodes that we talked about? Yeah, let's, uh, this is a good time to talk about that. So one of the things that we've... We'll, we'll t- it's your idea, Dalton, so... So uh, Dustin and I were, were sitting around talking with Arthur. We were just joking around about the the new content that's coming out, the new show, uh, a bad feeling about this. And uh, I said, I definitely want to be on one episode of this. I want to watch. I want to watch an R-rated movie with your with you and your kid and talk about it. Uh, and Arthur pointed out that obviously it should be Training Day. Uh, yes, because Training Day is on the list of things that you want to watch with him for his uh, coming of age, his film coming of age. And uh, I think it's going to be fun. Uh, h- how far down the pipe do you think that one is? Oh, way down the pipe. Yeah, it's probably a couple years out on that one. Because, man, yeah. There's a lot of stuff in that one. Y- y- yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. So, but yeah, and it's just this idea of this irresponsible uncle um, taking my kid out to a movie. Um, sounds like great entertainment and very, very poor parenting. I don't have uh, any nieces or nephews to be an irresponsible uncle to yet. Uh, I, well, I've got my in-laws' kids, but yeah, I don't want to push it, man. I... Yeah, I just got these people to like me. I don't need their kids telling them I took them to see Mandy or anything. You know what I mean? Like, I don't. I don't need that in my life. I don't. I'm not ready for that yet. Uh, so yeah, that's a fun idea we had. Uh, if you want to help make that happen, uh, the best way you can uh, really contribute is to go to Patreon.com/slash/GTM. I brought it home. Did you see how there, I did I that? I saw how you did that. That was very impressive. I'm very proud of myself. Good trash media. 
Patreon.com forward slash GTM, which stands for Good Trash Media. Patreon.com forward slash GTM to throw some coins in the coffers and get access to Good Trash Nights and other fun bonus content. And speaking of segues, it's time to play the game. It might feel good, it might sound a little something, but damn the game, if it don't mean nothing, what is game? Who got game? Where's the game in life? Behind the game, behind the game. I got game, she got game, we got game. And we're back and we're playing our typical trilogy game, which is our favorite moments from the trilogy. That's right, favorite moments from the Meg Hanks trilogy, brought to you by Jovis is a Volcano, Sleepless in Seattle, and You've Got Mail. Those three movies, those are the ones that we watched, and these are the moments that were good in those movies. There you go. So I go to you first, Mr. Arturo Ben Gordano. Uh, what say you? Arthur's middle name is Benjamin? No, he's, ben, like, he's Jewish. Uh, no, you're doing a Ben <laughs> Kenobi thing. I got you. Well, hi. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> Don't, Don't do impressions of other races. <laughs> See, that's just fun. That's just a good time. Shabbat shalom, my son. Uh, Man, I would love to go to an Orthodox Jewish wedding so bad. They look. Those weddings Fun. look. Great. I performed one under a hoopa once. Why? Because they wanted to do a hoopa. Which hoopa? Christians who are too into Judaism weird me out, man. I'm sorry. Um, Christians weird me out, but nonetheless. <laughs> 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 hey Arthur, you got a favorite moment? Oh man, I'm really on the spot here. Uh, Pickens hard. There, there are many, many good ones. Are there? Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's go with let's go with the uh, man. Okay, let's go with Sleepless in Seattle. Okay. Um. I don't know if I have anything. Um, I'll have what she's having. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Wrong movie. Um, you had me at hello. <laughs> Wrong movie. Oh crap. You know what? I really one of the most. It's really low key moments in uh, Sleepless in Seattle. It's Clarice, the babysitter. She's oh, good. Oh, she's fun. She's, she's good. A, it's, it's a great comedy because she's not doing a lot. No. Uh, but it works really well. This kind of very, very, very distant. Uh, the worst babysitter. Yeah, she's letting the kid watch Geraldo and then horror movies that he shouldn't see and uh, other things like that. Uh, like Uncle Dalton. But I, the uh, I yeah, would exactly. never. <laughs> I would never. Uh, but the moment when to uh, a child of that tender age. When uh, when uh, Jonah goes missing, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Papa Hanks is running around the house looking for him, going you know calling his name, and she's just kind of like once softly like Jonah. Like her very distant. <laughs> like not even a question mark in her voice. Yeah, she's just very distant, very dry. I very totally blank. forgot about that moment. Yeah. I, I think it's a fun little bit of comedy that's taking place in the background, and it's just kind of nuanced. And I appreciate that about those those little performances like that. All right, thank you for your number first pick. Your number first pick, Mr. Dalton Stewart, go now. My first pick is also from Sleepless in Seattle, and it is the titular Sleepless in Seattle. It is when Tom Hanks goes on uh, Dr. What's-Her-Doodle's radio show uh, because Jonah was being so cute and precocious and called in on his behalf. Um, And he he has no desire to be on this radio program, but uh, uh, the host talks him into doing it for Jonah. Uh, so he indulges Jonah and talks about his wife and uh, does it so long that Jonah falls asleep. And uh, intercut with that is uh, Meg Ryan listening to him on the radio. And that mo- that was a moment where I was like, this movie's great. This movie's going to be awesome. I'm super excited for this because Meg Ryan acts the hell out of those moments. Uh, I like when she goes in the diner to get her tea and is kind of flabbergasted that other people are having similar feelings to her and asks them to turn the radio up, and they all kind of listen to it together for a moment. A really good moment. Uh, and again, uh, Tom Hanks' performance as well in there. I mean, obviously he has a lot more work to do because he's got all the lines, uh, but I think Meg Ryan does a lot of very good subtle work listening to the radio in those scenes. Uh, but, uh, man, Tom Hanks just sells it. Uh, he, does, he doesn't go too over the top with it. It is kind of a restrained performance. Uh, but that monologue about all the things about his wife that he loved, I, I think he nails it. I think it really works quite well. And uh, again, it was the stretch that made me think this was going to be a great film. And uh, I was like, oh, no wonder everybody likes this movie. This is great. Uh, I think everybody forgets what happens after the first 30 minutes, though. I think that's why people like Sleepless in Seattle. But a very strong moment um, 
from a not particularly strong film. All right. Well, thank you for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I will pick a first moment from Sleepless in Seattle as well. It's a moment you don't really like, Dalton, but I still think it's really funny and just sort of incisive. And it is that moment where uh, Tom Hanks' sister and her husband uh, come in and they and she describes An Affair to Remember, which is a great movie. A film uh, that has been coming up throughout Sleepless in Seattle on the Meg Ryan side of the story. Yes. And it's, 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 it's like this movie all women know that all women have seen, which I think is unfair um, in, in terms of just cinematic sort of vocabulary. I think it's also unfair to say that no man has ever heard of this movie, and if they have heard of it, they don't get it. And, and you know, that later moment when Jonah's not paying attention to it, and, and his uh, girlfriend, you know, is like, this is the greatest movie ever. It's a really good movie, and her description of it with the crying, and the t- it's it's played up for laughs. It's ridiculous. The gender politics suck. I mean, I will give you all of those pieces. However, it is a really fun moment. Her getting emotional about this thing these guys have not seen and they are not having it. She totally sells it too, though. Uh, she, she does. She totally sells it. She does and I mean, and I feel as I feel as strongly. It is a great moment. It is a great movie that she is describing. It is really, really funny. And then for uh, Hanks and the brother-in-law to turn around and do a description of the last moments of the Dirty Dozen is. Again, gender politics aside, being really problematic, and I totally acknowledge that. It's kind of funny. It's hilarious to me. Here's the thing that would have made that work for me, is if, and we mentioned this off air, if Victor Garber and Tom Hanks' characters had both legitimately gotten choked up, if they had started out making fun of her and then got legitimately choked up talking about the Dirty Dozen, saves the movie. The movie made ten years later. That's what happens. Let me me write the movie ten ten, ten years later. And they're not talking about the Dirty Dozen. They're talking about Rudy. Yeah. And they're talking about the moment where Rudy has not made the team the last time, and there's a line of guys outside, and they are all putting their jerseys. I'm getting beclemmed. They're putting their jerseys on the table saying, Rudy can have my spot. Men doing that and getting weepy is true to life yeah. and true fact. I was going to say uh, them talking about Willem Dafoe eating it in Platoon. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That same well, thing. To- yeah. I I just got a little like choked up just thinking about that image. And so there is some real truth to that. There kind of, is, but they are they're they're, they're picking something ridiculous, right? Uh, Nora Ephron should have called cut and said, "No, sell it. Yeah, sell it. You are legitimately getting choked up in this moment. I mean, I, it, I'm it, so disappointed. It, it's funny that they're faking it to make fun of her, but it's just a mean moment. It is kind of makes mean. everybody in that movie so damn mean. But because they're being so silly about it, she sort of goes with it, and it, you know, you know, it's lighthearted. You know, it's yes. it's well intentioned, but it, it is well intentioned. And if if there were moments of the film that were a little bit more emotionally self aware, yeah, I think that moment would work a lot better. True, but I you're agree. right. It is very it. In the moment, uh, in the context of the film, I don't think it works, but that moment itself is pretty funny. So there you go. That's number first. Number next, Arthur Gordon. What say you? Your favorite moments of the Hanks Ryan trilogy? I'm gonna go with you've got mail, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna go with the uh, the physical meet cute of Hanks and Ryan in the bookstore when he walks into the shop. Man, is it good? Uh, F O X Fox is a great little that bit of band so cute. Funny. Played with those kids. Uh, and it works, and it's that first kind of spark of seeing them on screen together that it really works. I, I think the dynamic of that kind of cross-cutting that they're I doing with their online conversations is really fun. Uh, but when they actually get to meet and play, it's it's great. Go I ahead. have a question. Yes. How old is that kid? Um, which Maybe one? Like three or four, probably. Is he that young? I think he's. I think he's probably supposed to be. I think he's probably actually five, but I think because he seems to be. five or six to me. Yeah. I think he's probably playing three or four. And a five or six year old should, should be able to spell to... lots of words. And every time I've watched that movie, I'm going, it, "Were my kids just smart? I don't think so. I think this kid's just <laughs> dumb." Well, so you're is, saying your kids he are stupid. Also, very rich. He is very rich, so he can get by on it. Yeah, yeah. Well. If if living in America has taught me anything, it's that rich kids don't have to learn dick shit about anything. Because I'm telling that was you a what. very s- strong choice of words. I'm sorry, I don't uh, know why those were the words that came out of my mouth. Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> yeah, Go ahead and stretch out on the couch. Go Man, uh, so, sometimes truth ain't pretty. Having a uh, not being able to pay off my medical bill- bills for a whole year really has uh, made me sour. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm just like this kid not being able to spell anything but Fox just doesn't buy it for me. But you're right, it's hilarious. So go yeah. on. Yeah, uh, I, I just it's it's the it's the moment you've been waiting for when they actually finally meet in person, and we know it's that there's a suspense that's mm-hmm. built up because we know that they've been discoursing with each other, but they don't know. Yeah, uh, and then the callback to that when they're at the dinner. And they meet, and she realizes who he really is. And yeah. They do the callback to Fox Fox, and he switches into his douche mode. Yeah. Uh, in that moment, and it's it's really great. Yeah. And so I I appreciate that. 
I bet you rented those children is a great line. It's very funny. All right, Mr. Dalton Stewart, what is your number next pick? Uh my number next pick is also going to be from You've Got Mail. And I thought about just saying the emails, because I think the the way those email scenes are shot yeah. uh, is really good. Uh, the overlapping voiceover with actually spoken dialogue, the cutting back and forth, I think is really cool. Um, but that is basically the backbone and foundation of the film. So I wanted to pick a more specific moment. And I'm going to go with when uh, uh, Hanks' character, uh, Joe Fox, goes to... Uh, oh, God, what is Meg Ryan's character's name in that movie? Um, also, I love that uh, he plays a Joe in both two movies. Oh, yeah. I don't know what her name is. I can't think of it either. Uh, well, Arthur's looking that up. It's the scene where after her, she's been forced to close her bookshop, he goes to try and make amends. Because he has realized at this point in the film that uh, he is in love with her. Um, he's realized it quite a bit earlier in the film, actually. And he's realized he'd be a fool to not pursue this love that he has for this woman. But he doesn't want to reveal that he's in love with her because, you know, she kind of hates him. So he is... Uh, endeavored to become her friend so that she's not so jarred when he says hey i'm i'm uh i'm in y152 i'm in love with you um and i just think it's a great moment there's actually a turn after that moment that i don't like that's actually a piece of poetry from the film roses are red violets are blue i'm in y152 thank you for that I'm in love with you <laughs> that's, a, that's good that's good uh there, we'll talk about this more when we get to analysis in the next episode i don't love the manipulation that happens after this scene but I think that scene itself is really good. And it actually, he totally sells, uh, or I should say Nora Ephron totally sells, that Meg Ryan is coming around on him. Because he is, Hanks is so sweet when he comes to visit her, and also so familiar in a way that doesn't come across as gross to me. It comes across as like, you know that we're already friends, right? Like, people who don't like each other don't banter like this. We are already friends. We've just been... Uh, having a hard time figuring out the dynamic of it's our friendship. It's been a little combative, that's Yeah, all. we've been a little bit too combative, but clearly we like each other, because if we didn't like each other, we wouldn't have such good banter. Um, and it's a really sweet moment where he's, he's trying to find a vase for the flowers and is, like, getting her tea and stuff. And uh, she's like, I'm, I'm mad at you, by the way. I, I think you suck. And he's like, no, I get it. I, I kind of do suck, but, uh, uh, you know... The apartment looks great. <laughs> it's just like a cute. It's fun. It's yeah. a re- it's a it's the second meet cute of the film. Really, it's the first time that he's let himself totally drop his guard around her, and it's a it's a really sweet sequence and a, one that I think really sells the movie. Uh, I I don't like some of the choices that come immediately after that, but I think that moment is really stellar. Excellent, excellent. I like that pick a lot. I'm also going to pick from You've Got Mail for my number next pick. And uh, that moment is when Tom Hanks is uh, describing The Godfather as the I Ching, which is fantastic. That's really funny. And him doing this Brando impersonation <laughs> while, while he's thinking to himself yeah. is, is just it's a, good. a great acting moment. It, it's a great acting choice for him. And it may have been written in the screenplay. And I would kind of expect it to be written in the screenplay. Yeah. But he is killing yeah. this Brando impersonation as he's just talking about what he's going to do and it's sort of just he's frowning like De Niro. Yeah. He's doing Marlon Brando with the sort of cotton balls in his yeah. mouth and uh, it, it's it's just a great piece of acting to make this m- moment of basically voiceover you yeah. know, with little, little snippets here and there of them speaking out loud really, really interesting. It's just good acting. I, I love the moment after that. Uh, Kathleen Kelly, by the way, is the character that Meg Ryan plays where she's asking Greg Near um, uh, about going to the mattresses. She's like, "Have you heard about this?" And he goes, "Yeah, from the Godfather." The Godfather. And she's like, "What is up with men and the Godfather?" Like, it's such a, it's like not even that exasperated. It's just like, what? Okay, so everybody else knows about this movie. Well, it's the same joke from Sleepless in Seattle. It is the exact same joke, but it's made so much more effectively. I agree. Uh, because again, it's it's taking the piss out of guys' movies, which honestly feels. It feels like lower hanging fruit than taking the piss out of romantic comedies, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, being mean to The Godfather is a lot funnier than being mean to an affair to remember. Right. That's I, what it comes down to. I totally agree with that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I, I agree, Dustin. What a fun moment. So, all right. Number last is now that time. Um, You must choose Kill Your Darlings, Arthur Gordon. What is your favorite number last pick of uh, the uh, Hanks Ryan trilogy? It's Joe versus the Volcano. Of course. Obviously. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's Joe versus the, the whole <laughs> movie is so good. It's yes. Meg Ryan in Joe versus the Volcano. <sighs> She's so good. She's great. The f- the the way that she it's it's not just because it, it's easy to just put on a different wig and you know do the same thing and do a different voice. Yeah, yeah. but she has three. She carries herself three different ways. She's got this disheveled, 
kind of sniffly uh, character with Dee Dee. And then Victoria is kind of prim and proper and a little spoiled, but she's also very self-conscious and uncertain of herself as an artist. So full in an interesting way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's important to the story where it goes, um, especially in, in this town of Artifice, which is called out several times. Yeah. And where she plays into that. Uh, you know, this art is in her father's restaurant. And yeah. And things like that. And then, and then the kind of headstrong Patricia, who is also kind of questioning herself and her motives because she's doing it for the for the boat uh, and things of that nature, but it it goes so much farther than just a costume change. It's a whole personality change and a whole honest character change. It's it's three different people that she plays and she pulls off so well. Yeah. And even with Patricia, I mean, yes, yeah, you mentioned earlier she looks like Meg Ryan, mm-hmm. but she's not that affable, bubbly, perky, cute Meg Ryan that we would know. It is, she is such a different character yeah. than either of the characters in uh, You've Got Mail. It seems Sibyls. like a much stronger character, a much yes. more focused, determined character um, who questions herself. Yeah, she has those kind of doubts, but it's a much more interesting Meg Ryan, yeah. I think. I think she's good in You've Got Mail, too, though. There's she a, is. There's a sensitivity to her determination in that well, film. Well, it's, it's the pinnacle of the Meg Ryan persona, I think, yeah, that's in You've fair. Got Mail. It, it, as opposed to Joe vs. the Volcano, which you're right, it is much more of a performance in some ways. Yeah, and then, you know, Joe comes after When Harry Met Sally where she's already kind of established her her leading comedy persona there. That's true, yeah. And so it's, it's in that context, I think it's a much inter- more interesting switch for her to, to flip there. So yeah. I, I've got to go with that. Uh, the, the, three, the three ladies, the three sirens of Joe versus the Volcano. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What is your number last pick, Mr. Dalton Stewart? My number last pick is from Joe versus the Volcano. It is uh, a moment I will call Joe quits and Joe and Dee Dee go on a date. Yes. I almost went with that one. Joe quit. Oh, my God. It's so good. It, this used rubber of an office. Watch it, buddy. There's a woman here. <laughs> Don't you know that I know there's a woman here? I've been sitting here next to her for four years and I've done nothing about it. Oh, it's great. So it's so good. And Meg Ryan, like, she she really sells Dee Dee being like she's into it, but it she doesn't oversell it. She she's not like uh, immediately head over heels for this guy. Yeah. She's like, where did this come from? Yeah, where is she, she's kind of having the same thing where he's acknowledging, yeah, I know there's a woman here. I kind of have a crush on her. And I've just never said anything. And she's like, oh, you too? Is that right? And she's kind of she's, like, she's kind of sizing yeah. him up a little bit. Like, I guess I could be into this guy. It's yeah, it's a cute moment. And again. A lot of very subtle work from Meg Ryan in that scene because it's it's a lot of reaction, but it, it doesn't feel like her character's just reacting. It feels like the way Meg Ryan acts it, she is you believe that Dee Dee is like having this these emotions in the moment. They do mm-hmm. not feel like rehearsed emotions, which is a ugh, it's a great little subtle bit that she does there that I absolutely love. Um, but then the date itself is really cool. They're yeah. back and forth that they have and and Dee Dee being like, Who are you? Like her trying to figure him out and Joe just kind of Almost on this quasi manic kick that he he now has, feeling this uh, this liberation, knowing that his death is certain. It's uh, he's he's like a little kid in a in a candy store, except the candy store is being an adult and realizing, wait a second, I'm going to this dumb job, doing all this dumb shit. I could be doing whatever I want all the time. Nobody made me go here. I did this to myself. Um, and their their interplay is really good, and uh, even when uh, Dee Dee goes home with Joe and realizes this is too weird, like. I'm sorry, dude, you're dying. Like, I can't... You're asking too much of me. You're asking me to be your last, and that's a big ask. I'm sorry. Like, Mm -hmm. I gotta go to work in the morning. And, you know, it doesn't feel like her being a coward. It doesn't feel like uh, her abandoning him. And Joe doesn't seem to... He doesn't overplay the the rejection. You know, he's he's like, okay, I get it. Like, I'll see you around. Good call. Yeah, probably. I was probably asking a, a little bit too much to you there. Sorry. Um, but yeah, I just that whole sequence. I I love it. I it was the moment where I was like, "Damn, okay, Dustin was right. This movie's great." Yes. Uh, I, although I will say, even f- from the opening credits, I was like, "This movie's wild. Mm. This is great." But uh, that sequence from him quitting, them uh, going on a date, and then her going back home with him, like those three scenes are just all so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, big big fan of that stretch there in Joe versus the volcano. Awesome, awesome. So for my number last pick, I first want to mention my honorable mention, uh, which was almost what I picked, because I don't think uh, the Victoria character gets enough love. She doesn't. She, does she doesn't get enough to do. Uh, but the thing is, is she's not that... She's very well written. There's a moment in there where she gives that poem. Long ago, the tangled locks of his hair covered the emptiness of my hand. It is so 
powerful. It is so potent as a moment. Then she talked about suicide. It's a character that could be vapid and totally isn't. And, yeah, and so I, I really, really just dig that, that there was a little bit something else. And that's more in the screenwriting than anything else. And a lesser writer would have written a more vapid character, yeah, I, I think. think so. uh, I forget the name of the writer-director on this, but he also went on to do Doubt. Uh, yes. It's the only other film he's directed. He's written a lot of stuff. But yeah, if, if he were a lesser writer, he would have written Victoria as super vapid because she's the second woman, right? I right. mean, it would honestly make just sense. Just the middle. She's the middle. But she is given as much depth. Uh, honestly, she's given more depth than Dee Dee and given as much depth as Patricia. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's a really fully well, fully drawn character, I think. So yeah, yeah, dig that moment a lot. I just want to name it. But the 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 great moment for me is Joe's baptism, and there on the on the boat made of the luggage, where he's looking at the moment and he says, "Dear God, whose name I do not know, I forgot how big." Thank you, thank you for my life. I mean, that moment yeah. is. I it's mean, good. and I, you know, and I talk all the time about how much I hate that life is for living sort of existentialism that happens in movies. But that one gets me it's every good one. stinking time. It is, ju- it is fantastic, and the the, the tear, uh, tear, uh, tear felt. Uh, Performance by Tom Hanks and just the the, sh- the sheer size of the moon as it raises as he raises his arms and sort of raises the moon himself like Atlas holding the world. It is incredible as a moment, and it is that where you know whatever ends up happening to Joe, it 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 becomes where the the movement from that moment you were describing, where I'm going to die, so whatever you know you know I just do what I want because it doesn't matter. There's nothing that counts, and it moves from that to. I'm going to live because I have time to live. And it doesn't matter when or if or how I die. I want to live in that moment. And because, and the reason why I haven't is because I forgot how big. That sort of inarticulateness is so articulate. Yeah, it's, there comes a point where if you try to articulate a feeling too much, whether it's in a novel or in a film or in a piece of music, if you try to articulate a feeling too much, it will always ring hollow. Mm-hmm. Because if you can articulate the feeling that well, how much are you really feeling it? Right. And yeah, I, I, I totally agree, Dustin. It's a great moment. I, I forgot how big is a thing I say all the time. Yeah. And yeah, dig it. Dig it hard. So there you go, dear listener. Those are our thoughts regarding uh, this film in terms of thumbs up, thumbs down review, and a bit of gameplay in which we talked about the films at greater length. We are now going to have a bit of a break for a week and come back and see you again and bring you a solid hour of analysis of three romantic comedies because you know what we do? We do the films you will not do in a film studies course. You know what you don't do in film studies courses? You don't do the rom-com. You talk about the screwball comedy. You talk about the classical Hollywood ro- uh, romantic story, but you don't talk about the 90s at all. It's it, I don't, There has never been a 90s rom-com in what is it now? Six years of coursework I've done uh, in the on the graduate level. Foolish is what that is. That's yeah. foolish. Because so, you know what people go watch? Romantic comedies. Yeah. You know what people don't go watch? Avant-garde independent cinema. Bingo. Wait, well, well, I do. Well, you do. And that look, there's nothing wrong with studying that film, but I think. But in general. Look, yeah. I, what, what I'm saying is this show is better than a film studies course, is what I'm saying. It's yes. a lot cheaper, that's for damn sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we're going to actually talk to you about movies that, you know, people will, you know, have actually seen. And you can say something smart at a dinner party about Sleepless in Seattle. You're welcome. Yeah, because if it ain't popular, it ain't culture. That's what we're saying. You keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Good Trash Genrecast, a product of Good Trash Media. For more Good Trash content, head over to GoodTrashMedia.com. Our intro is an original composition by friend of the show, Aaron Rodgers. And our outro this week is 16 Tons, performed by Eric Burden. Some people say a man is made out of mud. Old man's made out of muscle and blood, muscle and blood and skin and bone. A mind that's weak and a back that's strong. You load 16 tons. What do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. Say, Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. Born one morning when the sun didn't shine Picked up my shovel and I walked to the mine I loaded 16 tons of number nine coal And the star boy said, well, bless my
my soul You load 16 tons Why do you get Another day older and deeper in debt So be that on your car Because I can't go On my soul To the company store I was born one morning It was drizzling rain Fighting in trouble My middle name Raising a cane break by no mama line And a high-toned woman made me walk the line You load 16 tons, why do you get Another day older and deeper in debt So Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go On my soul to the company store Step aside. A lot of men did, a lot of men died. One fist of iron, the other is steel. 